Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Jew and Gentile podcast. I am your host, Chris Katolka, and with me is none other than the Jewish sage himself, uh, Mr. Steve Herzig. How are you, Steve? I'm great, Chris. How are you? We're back in the podcast room. Back in the room. We had such a great time, live audience. Yeah. Uh, I hope we don't have any dead people out there <laughs> now, but we had a live audience last week, and it was fantastic. It was a great time. I think we had like 60 people that came out. I think you did a little Jewish guilt to get them to come, too, didn't you? I tried. I tried every every <laughs> anything I had to try to get them to come. Well, you did. Oh, here we go, everybody. Welcome in. Welcome in. Uh, it's great to have you back. We are in our podcast room. It's good to be uh, back at the headquarters, but I think we're going to try to go out one more time this year and do a live audience in Lancaster when we do our National Prophecy Conference in Lancaster with our Lancaster friends out there. I think that'll be a good time as well. I look forward to it. I, now that we've done it once, we'll tell them, come on, you could beat the group in Winona Lake. We only had a few. Let's pack the place out and yep. off we go. That's exact. We can guilt them again, Steve. We can You might them. as well Jewish it. You know, what was the line I think I heard you use? Hey, we don't want to be alone. We, we need people. You know, what were you <laughs> expecting three people and 60 came. They said, I think somebody said, well, we didn't want you to feel alone. That's right. In fact, Chris, I got there a half an hour before we were even scheduled to go and there were people there and that's exactly, that made me feel good. They said, we don't want you to feel bad. So we figured we'll get here and make sure you have somebody. Oh, that was very nice. Well, we had a great time with our live audience, um, but uh, but we're back in the studio. We've got a great show lined up for you. Steve, I'm just looking at our rundown here. We're going to be... Uh, I'm glad oh, you're looking at it. I never saw it. Yeah, well, I got one right here. You <laughs> this just, is about the way we do everything, I know. isn't it? I have the rundown, and you follow along. I you know? just go wherever you tell me I, to go. Well, I'm glad that you're along for the ride, but uh, we have a great show lined up. I believe today we're wrapping up our series on the the seven signs this is the seventh sign that Jesus uh well that John writes what Jesus did seven signs he did more than seven but John chose seven for a particular purpose to prove to demonstrate to show that Jesus is who he said he is according to the scriptures. That's right, and we've been going through the book of John, looking at various signs, and so today we're going to be wrapping up that series. Next week, we're going to um, air Basem Eid. We had him for one of our FOI Equip oh, classes. Oh, Chris, he was great! He was great, and so we have a recording of it. We just want our audience to hear that, so I think that's going to be a great one as well. I hope people who are who've listened to this podcast, uh, uh, if you believe us, to have a Palestinian who we would label, I don't know if he would, but we would label a Zionist. Mm -hmm. Because for him, it was a monetary thing. It's about the economy. And as he looks around, he says, Israel is the place where people can live a normal life. Exactly. And that's a, uh, it, it, which is dangerous for a Palestinian to say. Yeah. And actually, do you remember the reason why um, he has a connection? He has a connection, but you got to listen next week to find out where that it's connection not what comes you from. Know, it's who you know. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So anyway, we're going to have Bassem on next week. I'll open and close that. Um, but we're going to give that whole time to Bassem during the podcast. Um, he, if you were there for our FOI equip, he was, he was a part of uh, the, the FOI why equip first guest lecture series that we had, which was fantastic, and I know that we'll have some more guest lecture series in the future. Um, well, who do we, who's who's coming for our equip courses? I know next week is 
Food, glorious food. <laughs> I just emailed everybody, Steve, uh, that's on our mailing list for our upcoming FOI equip classes. And um, I wrote, uh, you know, do you like food? Are you a foodie? Do you like embracing culture through food? And I wrote, are you, I wrote, are you just hungry? You know, <laughs> did you write, write food seven times? You were the one that taught me. You got to say it seven times for the people to remember. Seven times is the key number for people to remember food, 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 food. And so I, uh, that's uh, Paula Korn, our ministry representative in Flagstaff, Arizona. She has a fantastic ministry where she ministers to the Jewish community in Flagstaff through a kosher kitchen that she runs. And so she's going to be bringing all of the gifts and you know resources and sharing about Jewish food and why it means so much to her cooking and she's she says Chris I love the Food Network I've been preparing for this like I'm Bobby Flay or something you know I am gonna be there next Thursday it's, that's all I can tell you so if you're listening and you'd like you like food um, you're a foodie. And even if you're not a foodie, it's a great historical study because food plays a big role in Jewish culture and customs, Steve. Uh, food plays an immense role. I mean, usually we're in trouble. God <laughs> sends a, God sends a solution somehow, some way, and then we celebrate with food. <laughs> That's exa- you eat that we eat. The only one that Passover. I can think of, not Yom Kippur. Yeah, uh, Yom Kippur, you fast. Every other one, what am I eating? Yep. <laughs> then you ask, what? why are we eating this? What are we celebrating? That's right. And so it plays a big role in 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 the culture, the customs. It's even, you know, the, the, the thing that's funny to me is God makes a law to keep kosher. But it's amazing how the Jewish community, that plays a big role in the type of food that you eat and what makes the culture of, of the food that Paul is going to be talking about because there were standards as to what they could eat, but they also didn't want to sacrifice taste. 100%. 100%. And, uh, yeah, no, food's very, very important. And what's funny is how, and maybe some of our listeners have stories. Everybody's got a story of a Jewish person they knew or know, and or they work with them or whatever, and I, I meet them all the time, and they say, oh, yeah, I had a Jewish friend. They kept kosher. But when he came to work, he said, don't tell my wife. I'm going to eat the other white meat. <laughs> the pork. Oh, that's good. I have a story of uh, one of my trips to Israel. I don't know how it happened, but uh, the guide is taking us. We're going to kibbutz. Okay, that's part of the trip so that people see what a kibbutz is. But it's Shabbat. So it's a not a religious kibbutz. And the line is like backed up it was a at least a half an hour wait and we're in line i said what in the what what's going on he said oh this is special food this is really good stuff people come from all over israel and i said what is it he said it's pork i said <laughs> that's impossible this was i never knew that there was unkosher food in israel i said that's impossible not in a jewish community maybe in a gentile community he said oh no he said the the rule is that uh, the pig cannot touch soil. No pig can touch soil. Therefore, you're not going to have any pigs. So this group from Czechoslovakia yep. poured concrete, and the <laughs> pigs have never 
touched <laughs> the ground. Is that what they? That's what they stand on the concrete. They stand. So they're on not the, touching the soil. Touch the, cannot touch the soil. That's what he told me. Oh, that and is you should have seen the line. There was the other white meat. I don't know how many pigs went down. <laughs> I remember when we were doing uh, our our volunteer work in Israel years ago. You know when when Shabbat would come. The grocery store would shut down, and you had to get there by probably three or four, and then it all closed on Friday. On Friday nights, but there was if you missed something, there was this one re- this one grocery store. It was a Russian grocery store, which was very secular. Rush, you know, Russia is very secular. Uh, the Russians coming into Israel were very secular, and so you know that's where you get your pork. That's where you get your bacon. That's where you get. That's where you go on Saturday morning when you need to get some milk or whatever. So there's the Russian place, and then there's all the other um, grocery stores that close down on Friday. So I thought that was kind of interesting. There, well, all this to say, we're looking forward to Paula. That's right. See, we could talk about Kosher food all food. day long. <laughs> all right. Well, listen. Yeah, if you have not registered yet for Paula's class, you can go to foiequip.org. Again, that's foiequip.org. Uh, and you can register for Paul's class and all of the classes that we have lined up for you this fall. I want you to again go to foiequip.org. Okay, Steve. So we are wrapping up our series on John um, and the seven signs. You know, we were talking about this. The Jewish people were always looking for a sign. And granted, you know, God gave them signs throughout the Old Testament. So the question that they're—we have to talk about the heart issue here. You know, the question they're asking is not a bad, show me a sign. You know, Elijah received a sign. I mean, God came down and and consumed the altar. God showed the prophets of Baal, I am the one true God. A sign came down, consumed the bull, consumed the altar, and God won. You know, the the very presence of God leading Israel through the dry ground, splitting the waters is a sign of him delivering his people. The ten plagues are a sign. There are signs from God all throughout the Old Testament. Why was it wrong for the Jewish people to ask Jesus for a sign. Jesus is God. Why is it wrong to ask? I don't think it's wrong for them to ask for a sign. I think you're right. I think what you just said, look at Exodus. They had 10. Then they go on dry ground. And when they get into the uh, wilderness, Moses goes up. And while he's going up, they forgot about all that. And so he comes down pretty angry. And here's what he says. Who is on the Lord's side. Mm-hmm. Think of that question, Chris. Wait, Moses, you've been with us the whole time. There's 600,000 men with their kids and all that, wives, and you're asking who's on the Lord's side? We've just gone through dry ground through the uh, Dead Sea. We had 10 plagues. Of course we're on the Lord's side. Well, you know what the text says? One tribe out of 12, Chris. Yeah. One tribe. I I tell this to Jewish people and Gentile people who would both agree when you talk to, oh yeah, the Jewish people are God's chosen people. Yeah, yeah. Well, they sure didn't act like God's chosen people. One tribe. And what, do you remember what God told Moses to do? What he asked? He had to slaughter. He slaughtered. They were to go throughout the tribes and kill. The priests killed 3,000 people. Mm Mm-hmm. And there weren't any Gentiles amongst those three th- that I know of. Yep. I know there were strangers, but that, that killed 3,000 people. 
Now, fast forward. And that's actually where the transition for the Levites come into play, because it was all uh, the original intent of God's plan for the for the priestly uh, service was to be the firstborn of every family from every tribe. So, uh, you know, I'm a firstborn. So that means well, no matter what tribe I'm in, whether I'm Levi or whether I'm Asher or whether I'm Dan, if I'm firstborn, I'm going into service to serve the Lord. But it was Levi who took the Lord's side after uh, after the um, the bull incident, um, and that is what made them, God separated them for the entire tribe for the purpose of serving Israel. That's right. So there were 3,000 uh, who said, yes, we will serve the Lord. You gave the example of Elijah. So Elijah, uh, kill, they kill the prophets of Baal, and then he runs for his life yeah. from one woman. <laughs> Yep. He, no problem with the false prophets. Those we could take care of. But the one woman, he runs. And what does he say? What He says, Lord, I'm the only one. Yeah, I'm all what, alone. Was he the only one? No, he wasn't. God I, God reserved a remnant for him. 7,000. Whenever people read—I've read that in churches. 7,000—oh, yeah, 7,000. That's not many at all. Yeah, compared to the entire nation. The entire nation numbered in the millions, however many there were. 7,000 only tells us what told us about the tribe of Levi, what tells us about this. There's only a minority of people. It's always that way. Whether you're Gentile or Jewish, it's the it's the heart, Chris. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's the heart that is willing to be humble and say, hey, this is the text. Here's what it says. We believe. It's it's only a remnant. It's only you know, and that's that's an important reminder for us as Christians because sometimes I think um, we want, and it's true, we want everyone to come to know the Lord. Absolutely, everybody, whosoever will. But it's funny because Jesus is the one who says narrow is the way. Everybody else is going to the wide gate. Narrow is the way. You know, he knew his people. He knew. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. But uh, but it's a good question because it can often seem like asking for a sign is a bad thing, but really it comes down to why are they asking for a sign? Were they just tempt were they tempting Jesus or are they really looking for a sign? Right. That's that's the question. If you're not going to believe, then it was like years ago there was a politician in our country who said to another country, if you go past this line, then you're going to see our reaction. And so they went past the line. And then he said, well, if you go past this line, <laughs> and then that line, you have to you you say what you mean, and you mean what you say. G- God does that. the The signs that are given by John under the inspiration of Scripture these are designed uh, to sh- demonstrate who Jesus is. Mm-hmm. And so, if you have eyes to see and ears to hear, you can see it and hear it reading it. But at the time that Jesus was alive, they saw it. Yeah. They experienced it. When, can you imagine uh, getting that fish and that bread and seeing that little boy who didn't eat his lunch and saved it? Remember we yep. talked about that? Feeding of the 5,000. And watching all the other people eat, and you don't believe? Yeah. That, but it happened. Yep. Oh, they, they knew they had something that they wanted, and they followed him around because what else could he give me? Yep, that what would else be like the, give me? it'd be like the prophets of Baal after the that nothing happened from their God, and then all of a sudden Yahweh comes and consumes, and they go, ah, that's nothing. <laughs> it's isn't it, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Whether you're Jewish, 
mm-hmm. or whether you're Gentile. Mm-hmm. You know, people don't like to hear that. They don't like to hear that. I, well, God tells us that. Yep. All right. So we're moving into Lazarus, uh, uh, Lazarus, uh, Steve. So well, let's start off about this last sign that we're seeing here, because this is an important sign. Chris, this is the uh, piece de resistance mm-hmm. uh, of the seven signs. This this is it. The text in uh, chapter 11 says, now a certain man was sick. Well, you know, he's Jewish. We're all sick. <laughs> all <laughs> of us. You're just talking about I, being that's sick right. this that's morning. That's right. I, I, that's right. We we always have something. Uh, when I you, said to you, I, you said, oh, I don't feel that uh, great. I've been I'm tra- off my game. I know. But then I said, how's Alice, who, uh, you know, is she's your wife? German. She's tough. She's, she's doing better than fine. I am. That's yeah, right. She's doing Quick fine. complain. That's right. That's right. <laughs> It says, now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany. Uh, you know, Lazarus, the name means God is my help. Boy, did he get it. Mm-hmm. I mean, he got it. It was It's great. So uh, he's in Bethany. That's the town of Mary and her sister Martha. And it was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil, wiped his feet and her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So as the text goes down, there G- Jesus finds out that he's sick. And but he waits. Yeah, it's not unto death. He says it's he'll he'll be okay. Uh, let's w- see what it says. Uh, after this, he said to the disciples, "Let us go to Judea again." The disciples said, "Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you. You are going there again." Jesus said, "Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks by the day, he does not stumble because he sur- sees the light of his word. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light." is not in him. Um, so, oh, okay. So his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking rest and sleep because he said, he sleepeth. Yep. That's the King James. Yep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Wow, Chris, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sake. I could just, <laughs> Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not ma- there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Look, Chris, this is he was he was a friend of Lazarus. Yeah, they had a tight family relationship. Yes. yes, that was this was this was big, and we're going to see how emotional it is. Mediterranean people, specifically, we're talking about Jewish people, but I would say if you're Greek, if you're Italian, if you're Jewish. The Medi- there's something about Mediterranean people. We are very emotional. We food is important. That we're doing yep. that for equipped. Yep. And relationships are really important. And so here Lazarus dies, but Jesus allowed him to die for a purpose. All these signs were for a purpose. You know, there's an interesting connection between um between the entire gospel of John in my opinion, Steve, and Daniel, the prophet. Because Daniel, at the very end of the 12 chapters, uh, you know, hears, because uh, he Daniel says, when are all these things going to take place? When is all this going to happen? All the prophecy that you've shared with me about Israel, the Jewish people, the end times, all of these things. And and he, this angel reveals to, to Daniel, you know, these events will take place, but um, ultimately, in the end, some will rise to life. That's what he says. He's talking about resurrection. Some will rise to life, and some will rise to eternal shame. So some will rise to everlasting life, it says in Hebrew, or eternal life, and some will rise to everlasting shame. 
you know, when you go back to passages like John chapter 3, verse 16, John 3, 16, which we all know very well, you know, it, it, when when John r- writes that, when Jesus is speaking, I think he's going back to, do, uh, to, to Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, when he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish. That same idea of some will rise to life and some will rise to everlasting shame. Um, someone uh, uh, that that believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You know, when when we're talking about the book of John, I think when Jesus is thinking about eternal life, he's actually thinking about resurrection, people rising from the graves and living eternally in everlasting life, not everlasting shame. And I think that's really what John is trying to push as he's communicating these signs as well. Here's a moment where you know, we're going to see a resurrection take place. And I think that all is very important to Jewish culture and Jewish um, theology. The idea of resurrection wasn't something that Jesus made up when he came bursting out of the grave. It was something promised in the Old Testament. I think you raise a good point. It's one thing that uh, evangelical Christians and Orthodox Jewish people agree with. Uh, you could go to Mount of, uh, You could go to the Mount of Olives, and there are people— Jewish people, dignitaries, big people who are, uh, you know, well-known, who are buried there because it's higher up, and in the resurrection, they'll get up quicker. It sounds kind of funny, but it's an honor to be buried there. You're quoting Daniel chapter 12 and verse 2, those who sleep in the dust of the earth. I use this in churches. So it's a Jewish teaching. I use it in a church when I speak, and I'll say, hey, how many of you know about Let's Make a Deal? <laughs> Old Monty Hall. Uh, you probably don't know who he is. You're too young. Monty Hall had a game, Let's Make a Deal. They had three doors. So I say, we're going to have two doors. Door number one, there's a curtain. Door number two, there's a curtain. But behind door number one is everlasting life. And behind door number two, it says shame and eternal con- uh, and eternal." Um, uh, separation, something, wait, those to ever love, sh- shame and everlasting contempt. I've told you I'm a little off here. Okay. <laughs> You're doing good. So, okay. So which one do you want? Which one do you want? Oh, ever, I, hey, Monty, I want everlasting life. <laughs> Don't give me shame and everlasting contempt. That's I'm right. not into that. And that's Jewish. That is all Jewish. And John is written by John, who's Jewish. Yep. He's talking about the Jewish Messiah, who's taking the teaching that you just described and talking about resurrection, eternal life. And now Lazarus is dead. This is bad. This is uh, death to this day is bad. You, your loved ones, your father, your brother, your sister, your mm-hmm. uh, mother. It's bad. Lazarus is dead, but Jesus allowed it to happen. It, he was challenged. You could you could have saved him. He could have saved him, but he wanted to do something better mm-hmm. for a higher purpose, not just for the people there who would ultimately believe. There were people who believed after that sign, but also for us today. And so that's what happens. Uh, Lazarus dies, and now we're going to move into this moment where Jesus begins to comfort the family through a sign, he's gonna he's gonna use this moment, like you said, to reveal that he is the one capable of bringing the dead back to life, and that to me is amazing. You know, it's, a, it's an amazing sign. Well, we know from other gospels that Jesus he uh, Jesus raised the dead, uh, Jairus's daughter, and uh, we 
and Lazarus here. And so the raising from the dead is a biggie, Chris. I mean, it's it's big. And he's been in the tomb for four days. That's what it says in chat in verse 17. On his arrival, when Jesus appeared, comes to the tomb, Jesus found uh, that Lazarus had already been in the tomb uh, for four days. I love the two words. He stinketh. Yeah. <laughs> I love those two words. That's it's right. King James. He stinketh. That's right. And it's, it goes on in verse 18. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. Today, Jewish people sit shiva, which means for seven days they mourn the loss of of their loved ones. It's a very, it's a common Jewish practice. It's a part. Very common. And, and, and the, you know, there's something uh, special about it. It's a time of closure. It's a time to, 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 for your friends to come and uh, take care of you, your family to take care of you during your loss of, you know, your loved one. Um, and, and you're sitting Shiva, uh, which means you're sitting for seven days. You sit lower than everybody else. The seats are specially designed. So people will tower over you. You're supposed to cover the mirror. You're not supposed to take a shower to relax. It's to be the whole period of time is mourning. Yeah, mourning. And accentuate it. And for most people, if they have a close relationship, as the family does, it's easy to do. But but from a psychological point of view, it's a very healthy thing. We sometimes think in Christian circles that, oh, person's dead, they're with the Lord, I'm okay. Yeah. Well, no. Yeah. He, Jesus in a righteous, holy, perfect way, was not okay. How do I know that? He wept. He wept, that's right. He wept. There was a sense of loss. He's human, 100% human, without sin, but human. He felt the emotion. His friend died. And that's why it goes on. It says in um, in uh, verse 20, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Lord, uh, Martha said to Jesus, if you have been here my brother would not have died. You know what's amazing is that they assumed that Jesus could heal him. Yep. Isn't that amazing? Like, they knew if Jesus was heal- here, that he could heal uh, her their brother, but now that he's dead, oh, too bad. He's limited. Move on. <laughs> she, she attributed to him that he couldn't do a resurrection. That's right. And that's why Jesus is going to do this, to show that he it, actually goes beyond just the miracle worker of the healer, but he's going to do more than that. He's going to raise the dead to life. And he's going to say another I am. Chris, we've gone through a few I ams. I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm the good shepherd. Here here he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus is life. L'chaim. Mm-hmm. L'chaim, life. Jesus, it we don't think that way. Uh, that's the Jewish way. Jesus is life. He's not death. He's the resurrection and the life. Your illustration so well put, Daniel. Some to everlasting life. He's life. Some to everlasting shame and contempt. Go with Jesus, and you'll go with door number one. Yep. And this, listen to some of this prophecy in here, uh, Steve. I love this. To think how Martha was thinking prophetically. Listen to what it says. It says, um, 
Uh, Jesus said to her, uh, well, I'll go back in verse 21. Lord uh, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Listen to this prophecy that's in Martha. Uh, in Martha. Martha answered, I know. I know he will rise again yeah, in the yeah, resurrection yeah. of the last day. <laughs> that's right. I know I'll see him again. I know he's going to rise. But notice that means that she n- understands uh, uh, p- prophecy. She's thinking like Daniel. Some will, everyone resurrects, Steve. That is a biblical truth. Everybody resurrects. Everyone that's ever been created since the time of Adam and Eve resurrect from the dead. Some to life, everlasting life, eternal life. Some to, as you said, everlasting contempt or shame. And so here, Martha's going, I know, I know I'm going to see him again in the res- in the resurrection to come. And Jesus, I love what he says. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing me in me will never die. Do you believe this? And she does. She does. She does. She calls him the son of God. That's... Chris, that's big from a Jewish point of view. That's huge. This is an interesting concept, too, because notice what she couples. She says, yes, Lord, she replied, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. This is such an interesting connection because, you know, I think Paul does such a great job in the beginning of Romans highlighting who Jesus is. He's a son of David. He had to come from royal lineage. That goes from David back to Judah, the, that whole connection. But then he also connects Jesus' divinity to the to being a son of God as well. And there's this beautiful picture of Jesus' royalty, his humanity. You're the Messiah. You know, the, the Messiah is a king. You're the king of Israel. And you're also the son of God. She was linking the divinity of Jesus with the royalty and humanity of Jesus all in one. And like you said, this is the stumbling block for most Jewish people. It's big. It's big, but it wasn't for her because she believed. Mm-hmm. Verse 28, after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. And when Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at a place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if... (laughs) Class, Steve, I love this. The, 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 you know, the, she's complaining too. Of Lord. course, we always kvetch. You gotta, you gotta have a kvetch there. I've you, already heard this, Mary. It's kind of your fault, That's, you know. It's your fault. He's dead. Isn't that great? Jesus comes. It's your fault, Jesus. You could have done and he, better. And look, I say this with respect. He probably said it's off record. It's always my fault. Yeah. <laughs> Everything is my fault. That's right. But I'm going to make it better. That's right. I feel like I'm listening to my kids whenever something goes wrong. If I don't hear it, I'll hear it four times from each kid independently. It's your fault. When Mary reached the place where Jesus had saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in the spirit and troubled where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord. And verse 35, as you said, Jesus wept. It's amazing that Jesus knows he's going to resurrect. You know, Jesus is here to show a sign. But like you said, Steve, the 
he wept even knowing that he's going to resurrect. Which because is, again, he, he took the journey to death. That's right. He took the journey to death. And we know people in Christ who die, uh, and we know we'll see them again. We talk about it at at, serve, at a funeral service and believe it, just like they did. But it, it doesn't take the pain away. No. Uh, there's pain, and we need to—there's loneliness, there's separation. Uh, and that's what Jesus felt. And the whole atmosphere was one where you're swept up in the emotion. You know, I—, I this isn't a counseling moment or anything, but it, it's a. You know, oh, go ahead, Chris. Well, I was just going to say, you know, I my father died when I was young, and um, you know, it's the greatest form of counseling to me, Steve, was when people didn't have anything to say, but they just kind of hugged me and they wept too, and I didn't need the theology. I, I knew I would. I knew my father placed his faith in the Lord Jesus. I knew I'd see him again. I knew that he would resurrect from the dead in the future into eternal life. I know all that stuff. But the reality was having people mourn with me was the the real sense of comfort that I felt in, in the process of how God was going to the grieving process and all of that. Uh, I still grieve to this very day I, I when I see my kids and I think about what my dad's missing out on and all the grandkids. But the reality is is that the people I identify with the most are the people that that mourned with me and didn't have an answer. There was no answer. The answer is, hey, you know, I'm here for you. Period. You know, and there's Jesus there in that that's, moment. That's right, and that that that's it's that's true, hundred percent true. And when we Go on in the text, it says, after Jesus wept, then the Jews said, see how he loved him. And some of them said, come, uh, could not this man have opened the eyes of the blind, also have kept this man from dying? And the answer is, yeah, he could have. He absolutely could have. Uh, so Jesus, groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. That's that's the way cemeteries were, Chris. Uh, and in fact, whitewashed sepulchers, which Jesus used as an expression, that was done to benefit uh, especially priests and other people. You don't want to get contaminated. They would take the caves and whitewash them so that you wouldn't be trafe unclean. Mm. And so he was in a um, in a cave, and Jesus said, "Take away." This is where I love this part. Take away the stone. Martha, the sister, said uh, of him who was dead. Lord, by this time there is a stench. I don't like the New King James, not for this one line. <laughs> Mine's is a bad odor. Uh, he stinketh. Yeah, he stinketh. <laughs> it's I'm seriously, what all done on purpose. Mm -hmm. Why? Because the people there, when they were they this guy's been there four days. Yep. They they don't this use This isn't they a magic trick. They don't inject anything in. It the person's dead. They're in that cave within 24 hours, and to this day, Jewish people. Uh, there's no injections, no anything. You're dead. You're you're buried within 24 hours. So mm -hmm. now it's four days. The body's decomposing, uh, and so they're nervous about this. Um, so they took the stone away from the place where the dead man was lying. Jesus lifted up his eyes, and here's the prayer. What a great, just a great lesson. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. He knows the God the Father's hearing him. And I know that you always hear me, but it's because of them who are standing by. I said this, that they may believe that you sent me, mm. that they may believe. 
Uh, now, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Chris, what would have happened if he didn't say Lazarus? What if he said, come forth? A whole bunch of dead people. Oh, interesting. Come. I never thought about that. He's, he's, he's calling he's, him by name. He better. He's the son of God. He's God Almighty. You, I only want one at this time. <laughs> this for my lesson. It's my friend. Lazarus, come forth. If he would have said, come forth, you dead. Yep. Ooh. Yeah. There would have been a general resurrection at that point. And the other thing is, he's bound up. Chris... When I first read this, because I wasn't, I was 22 years old when I read the New Testament for the first time. And when I went over this, oh, Lazarus come out. In my mind, I just, oh, so he came out. Well, I didn't, I didn't connect all the dots. Chris, he's wrapped up. Mm-hmm. He's, he, he, his arms are wrapped up. His, so how do you think he came out of, when he was told to come out, how do you think he came? Probably bound, jumping. Well, that's the, the only way I you're, yep. you, you ever do those races a sack like races a sack. yeah exactly so you got this he's probably like what's going on everybody first of all you open it up you go oh man what is, <laughs> what is that and then boom there he is and he's probably saying mm, mm, yeah get me out of this thing <laughs> hopping out I I believe the people there their eyes were bugging out yeah mine mine would wouldn't yours oh uh, four days dead ever you know that's an amazing thing that now he's coming out of the tomb he's wrapped up still and jesus uh says to him take off the grave clothes and let him go he's he's been resurrected he's been dead for four days and now he's alive again a sign you know, I had a, a couple, a friend, uh, when we were in Chicago. This this is uh, significant for me. They were some of the first people we met when we were ministering in Chicago. And uh, he asked me a lot of questions about Jesus. He was raised in a Jewish home. His wife was Gentile, uh, raised in a, uh, not an evangelical church, uh, but a churched person. And we're discussing... Uh, who Jesus is and all this. And when he finally read this and realized that after this, the people didn't believe, there were people, the Jews, the leadership said, we got to kill this guy. Uh, they recognized what he did and it's because of what he did and the implication for them. I remember I was sitting in the back seat with my wife, Alice. He was sitting in the front. His, um, his name was Mike and his uh, wife's name was Julie. And they're sitting in the front and he said, I got it. It's one of those aha moments. It, he said it was all political. It's all they they were questioning their power. Yep. It wasn't he was who he was. They knew who he was and said, "I don't care. We're not going to follow you at all. Mm-hmm. It's political." And he said, "I understand." I thought that was amazing. It is, and it because actually, what ends up happening after this is that there's a plot to kill Jesus because of this amazing sign. I mean, this is one of those signs where um, it grabs the... It's one thing to heal somebody. Like, that's a miracle. But I like an, the way it's one thing to heal. Yeah, it's... Okay, yeah, yeah that, uh, maybe somebody else could do that. No, I'm just saying, like, there's been a lot of healing, but the, not a lot of... Res- I mean, that goes back to, again, Elijah as well, and the, re- you know, the people resurrecting and coming back. That's a different... You're bringing the dead back to life now. You know, that, to me, is on a different plane even more than... 
you know, I'm not trying to undercut the miracle of the healings, but I'm also saying, oh, it's the biggie. It's, it's the biggie. It's the biggie. Because it's also what's going in their mind when it comes to resurrection. It's connected to prophecy from the Old Testament about God's actions on earth, the coming of the Messiah. All of these things would have been jumping around. And even like you said earlier, Mary, Martha, they, they go, we believe that you're the, the Messiah, the Son of God. So that, like your friend said there, it is political. That is a, that's a very political title, the Messiah, the Son of God. It's political. Verse 47, then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, what shall we do? That's a good question. Here, Lazarus is raised from the dead. It's a mighty good question. What what should we do? Well, uh, the answer to that, for this man works many signs. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe. Yeah, God Think forbid. <laughs> if they let him alone, everyone will believe. Mm. That is, they're right. That is a, you know, when you think about that. It is 100%. If we let him alone, they're going to believe. That's right. Jesus, if if he didn't die, they're saying at least, this will build momentum. He'll keep doing these things, and more and more people are going to believe, and we'll be out of business. But the point, they got the message. They actually are looking at Isaiah 53. He was wounded for our transgressions. Bruce for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. Mm. Now, this isn't talking about, you know, he hasn't been crucified yet, but if they let him alone, if they let him alone, everyone will believe. And um, Steve, you know, we, this is the seventh sign, um, Lazarus being raised from the dead, but you and I were talking, there's actually a bonus sign. Chris, we're going to do a bonus, not next week, because we have our special guest next week. Seven Signs, that was the title of this podcast when we first started. And Lazarus, this is the piece de resistance of the seven signs. Of the seven signs. But there's one coming. There is one that John comes at the end, and that is the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's right. That's a big one. And we Slam gotta, dunk. We have to talk about that. We are. So that's going to be the eighth sign. That's We're right. going to turn it into a Hanukkah. I wish we could say... <laughs> I wish we could say it's like a free, you know, a free gift that we're giving everybody, but this whole thing is free. So and, that's, and it's no bonus. It's in the text. It's in the that's right. But but we legitimately these are seven signs given to the people, but the eighth sign is given to everyone. Okay, so uh you're gonna have to come back. We're gonna have Basem Eid next week, and then we're gonna come back, Steve, and we'll do our eighth sign, uh the bonus sign. Um, the best sign, I would say, of all of them. The Praise best God for the resurrection. That's right. And so, uh, you know, Lazarus is giving us a small picture of the resurrection, and Jesus is going to show us really the heartbeat of what resurrection's all about. That A promise. I, I always remind people, Jesus didn't invent resurrection. It's an Old Testament prophetic hope that the Jewish people, as you saw Martha say, oh, I know, I know my brother, I know I'll see him in the gen- in the resurrection to come. No, 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 no. That's, a, that's something that goes back to the Old Testament. Jesus, uh, he's the first one to, the first fruits of the resurrection, as Paul that says. That is a biggie. That goes back to Leviticus. Exactly. So it'll all tie in together, We've Steve. done it before. <laughs> We've done it before. All right, everybody. Well, uh, uh, next, uh, not next week, but the following week, we'll continue our study, our eighth 
sign, our bonus sign. Steve, let's talk about what's happening in the news. Well, Chris, I was really glad you you didn't show me the schedule for the podcast, and I got the news late. But I really like, uh, were these picked by Laura? Or by these you. ones, Laura has a few good ones I was going to do next week, but these were for me. Okay, so these are Chris's. Zelensky's wife to Israeli TV, quote, your resilience serves as an example for us. Chris, this is great. This is Olena Zelenska, the wife of Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky. Uh, she was on Israeli TV. And since this was yours, I, there's all kinds of quotes I have, but I'd like you to do it if you're ready. If not, I'll do it. No, you go ahead, because I have the next one lined up for that. All right, then I'll do this one. Here's what she said. It's not an exaggeration to say that Israel's past experience inspires the citizens of Ukraine. She also said, we see the Israeli strength and power of resilience in the difficult situation Israel has been in for many years. Your resilience serves as an example for us, she said in the interview, which was conducted through a remote video connection. Speaking about Israeli assistance to Ukraine, which was overwhelmingly limited to humanitarian aid. Chris, uh, Israel is trying to play politics. I, I think for their own benefit, mm -hmm. they want to help the Ukrainians. Uh, they, they feel for them. They are with them. But they also want to try to maintain some sort of relationship with Russia. And so the aid that she's speaking about, some would like to see military aid, but this is strictly humanitarian aid. Yeah, that's right. And I think it's important for people to know that one of the largest groups of people in Israel are Russian Jews. And um, Russian is a very common language in Israel as well. So you know, there is a, a relationship that's been there for a long time, but I do think that relationship was squandered over, you know, since Putin went into Ukraine um, and started calling Zelensky, who's a Jewish man himself, a, a Nazi. Um, but you know what's interesting to me is I love how she connected the the history of Israel and the Jewish people to Ukraine's plight right now, because really it is true. You know, think about it. Ukraine sits right next to Russia uh, and they're dealing with an enemy. You know, when Israel was founded in 1948, they were the underdog. Um, they were outnumbered 10 to 1. All of the nations surrounding them hated them. And you could say almost the same thing about uh, the, um, uh, about Ukraine. You know, Belarus is in line with uh, Russia. Um, and so almost completely surrounded, not quite Poland's there other than Poland. That's, that's right. right. And Romania. But there's a lot of countries that are surrounding them. And Israel's history is a, a example of resilience and and the fact that God was on their side. And so I love that she's tapping into that historical component to try to win the hearts of the Israelis. We identify with you right now. So. And, and according to the article, uh, one of the areas that Israel is really helping them it says, according to estimates from the Ukrainian Health Ministry, 15 million Ukrainian citizens will need help in the area of mental health. And so we had no time to waste. We needed to start acting immediately. And so they are getting training from Israelis. Uh, the Ukrainians are with their mental health professionals to help because, Chris, war is trauma. It is. Israel deals with trauma all the time. I know that uh, we as an organization have contributed to the Israeli Relief Fund, Israel Relief Fund for bomb shelters. And Chris, I, 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 you weren't prepared for this, but I know you know the story. Uh, you are aware of children 
in Israel who are traumatized by when a rocket goes off in their area. You want to tell us? Well, I know that we do bomb shelters, and like what we were talking about, especially down in uh, uh, Strot, mm-hmm. which is on the border of Gaza and um, at the Gaza and uh, Israeli border, and um, they do a lot of work to try to ease the the PTSD that comes from PT children for children. I mean, you have to think. Imagine if one day your kid's out playing in the park, and the next thing you know, there's a siren going off. And they are just accustomed to running underground to an underground park. There are underground parks for kids to play at in Starot because of all the rocket fire that's coming. So there are programs that are there, and I believe Friends of Israel supports them as well, that are trying to help kids deal with the PTSD from the constant rocket fire. And I know that it's amazing that even the Israelis try to turn, you know, lemons into lemonade. Uh, they'll take even the rocket, you know, the rockets that have been fired and land in Starot or in those surrounding communities. Shrapnel from Shrapnel, that's right, and they'll turn it into jewelry and try to sell it to, you know, raise awareness about what's going on in Israel. So, you know, which helps with PTSD as well. But the kids, I mean, can you just imagine being a kid? We were talking about this with um, uh, Rabbi, um, I'm trying to remember. Goodbye? No, 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 the one that does the bomb shelters. Oh, um, uh, no, I forgot. His I know. Name. We'll have to remember it. It yeah. will come to mind. Um, but he builds the bomb, or he is the one that organizes the bomb shelters, and Friends of Israel gives uh, 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 to him, and we've got several bomb shelters. But he was describing it once, and he was saying that, um, you know, imagine you're a kid, you're playing tennis, and then all of a sudden the siren goes off. Those There's bomb shelters just near parks and near the tennis courts so that kids can just run right 15 in. 15 seconds they have, yeah, sometimes seconds. less. Yep, exactly. So you can imagine the PTSD that comes it's from hard, the war. It's hard in America to think about PTSD for students, for mm-hmm. kids, yep. little kids. Yeah. And I know one story I heard when I was in Israel of the when the bomb, when the rocket went off, the person, kid was safe. It was time to get out. The thing was over. Wouldn't go wrapped up in a little ball mm-hmm. and just said I, I I'm not leaving I can't leave yep and it it's it's difficult and I think that um the Ukrainians realize that and Zelensky's wife she is thanking them for helping we need she said all the help we can get and Chris I uh, we certainly have are working to help those in Ukraine. Uh, but I think one of the ways our listeners can help is just continue to pray for the Ukrainians, pray for Friends of Israel workers who are bringing in food and uh, clothing and everyday needs, and for some Jewish people, getting them out so that they can make Aliyah. That's right. That's really important. That's the work that we're doing right now as well with our team on the ground in Ukraine, helping Jewish people make Aliyah to Israel during this difficult time. Um, so, uh, we're, well, let's go from something kind of sad. I mean, it is sad, but good in the sense that we're helping Israel. But this one, I, I'll just stay the first two words: muscular Judaism. This is this I've is never why I said that it. before. I, My whole life, muscular. <laughs> I never met a muscular Jewish person. Well, I, you know, th- I, that's why I picked this because I think sometimes you make jokes that there aren't many Jewish people in sports. You know, you have your Sandy. We Kofax. report sports. That's. <laughs> But you've got some famous Jewish people we in do. sports. We do. We have a few. Um, but uh, this one, I, I liked muscular Judaism. I think first, Steve, it's important for us to highlight why we're talking about muscular Judaism. Because in Israel right now, they're doing something called the Maccabea Games. What are the Maccabea Games, 
Steve? Well, Maccabees, of course, were the ones who uh, invented guerrilla warfare. We celebrate Hanukkah. And uh, the Jewish people at that time, about 165, 170 BCE, before the Common Era, uh, were under Antiochus Epiphanes. Uh, the army was strong. They're just farmers. Uh, but it was under the Maccabees. I guess they were the first muscular. The muscular. <laughs> That's right. They were the first ones, and they rebelled against them. They fought them. The guerrilla warfare hit and left and empowered the people to resist Antiochus and his soldiers to ultimately take back the temple uh, and rededicate the temple. They uh, So the Maccabee games are designed because Jewish people, the especially my people from Eastern Europe— uh, you know, we're, you know, slow, we're not fast, we read books. We, we read don't books, that's right. We're teachers, we're, we work that, in this, in that's, like the, right. that's right, we and, you know, professors. Games, athletes and games go back to the Greeks where they were nude, uh, and Jewish people, according to the law, wouldn't get involved with that. So we said, uh, let somebody, let the Goyim do that. <laughs> uh, but, the, but the Maccabees were the ones who, uh, who said historically, we're going to stand up. That's right. And so... N- Israel has been very prominent um, and moving on up, as if you will, as a small country, only started in 1948, but participates in the Olympics. But this particular muscular Judaism uh, actually comes from Max Nordeaux, who's a Zionist leader of the past, the late 1800s. And he said, quote, we must think of creating once again a jewry of muscles. I love that. That was that's I love that's the way that the article starts, but it's all about the fact that weightlifting was brought back into the Maccabea games after 3 decades. So Jewish competitors from all around the world who specialize in weightlifting flew to Israel and this is where they partake and it's it's kind of its own Jewish Olympics. That's it what's is a going. Jewish Olympics. But you're going to have this uh w- for people, they'd be able to a link to it yep. and see those pictures. Look at those guys straining. Yeah, they're working hard. They they're are, working hard. And ladies, by the way. That's right. Uh, but it's interesting because the uh, the idea of the Maccabea Games, you, you know, it's not just the Maccabees, which is the, basically the Jewish Olympics where Jewish people, like I said, from all over the world fly to Israel and they and they participate in and more than just weightlifting. They run, they do swimming. I mean, you can it's basically like the Olympics. But Steve, it's also funny too because most of the teams in Israel are called the Maccabees or the Maccabees, you know, so there's always a Maccabee team. There's a Maccabee soccer team, there's a Maccabee, uh, you know, uh teams all over the place, basketball team. The Maccabees, I mean everybody wants to be a Maccabee. That's the, the point. The Maccabees are the Yankees of Israel. That's exactly right. They're all there's a Maccabee Tel Aviv, a Maccabee Jerusalem, a Maccabee, you know, everybody wants to be a Maccabee. That, that's right. That's so, right. Anyway, that's a really interesting article as well that we've linked in our show notes for you to kind of get a history not only of uh the weightlifting competition that's taking place um after 30 years it was added back um you know, I wonder why they had to can I don't know why they canceled it, but they had they brought it back after 30 years. So maybe they didn't have enough people to do it. Who knows? Uh, who knows? But who Max Nordell wanted a muscular jewelry, which they I love had that. 17 women and 21 men. I I don't know. I've tried Have you ever done weights? A little bit. <laughs> You're more Jewish than you think. <laughs> I've 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 done weights a little bit and I say to myself when I when I was younger and doing it, I said 
why am I doing this? That, a, it hurts. Well, that, I prefer lifting weights to run. You know, when you see people, run, I don't know if you're a runner, but I see people running and I always go, I wish I could do that. So I'll start running and then I'll think, I hate this. Why am I running? Where am I running to? You know, <laughs> what's just a circle yeah. where weightlifting, at least I, I you're doing like something. I'm doing something. It's not, I hate running with a passion. But anyway, uh, that's a whole I, different story. I, I would not make it in the Maccabee games. I can promise you that much. All right, Steve, here we go. Here we go. We got a good one. Steve and I talked about this. We, you asked me before we started, we're doing uh, John chapter 11, raising up of Lazarus. I'm sure a Lazarus and his family said, what a machaya. <laughs> machaya, our Yiddish word of the day. Machaya. Steve, what is a machaya? Well, let me answer that uh, question with a, what you do rather than a definite you give the definition when you first asked me and I told you Micaiah you said oh, what what's it mean I said Chris it's 95 degrees outside 100% humidity and you walk <laughs> into an air-conditioned room the first thing you say is what a Micaiah that this is great so I go online to look up the proper definition I see this great article which I'm going to highlight in a moment but it that literally when it's talking about Micaiah after Steve told me about the air conditioning it says if you walk into an air-conditioned room or taste ice water on a hot day, you might go, ah, what a machaya. Absolutely. Have you ever gone to somebody's house uh, and it's hot, they have air conditioning, and they don't use it? <laughs> That's my not mother a does it. My mo- I'll, I'll walk into the, her apartment, and look, she's 98 years old. Whatever's been working has done very well. But you walk in, you move your shirt like this, and you say, Mom, could you put on the air conditioning? <laughs> and then when she does, you say, oh, what a machai. Well, you do that to me, too. When you come into my office, you always oh, go. Oh, your place is like a schwitz. It's a schwitz. That's right. <laughs> Mine's a schwitz. But when I turn on the AC, it becomes a machai. Yeah, Chris a has a schwitz, which is a uh, steam bath. I and, prefer it hot. And he likes hot. I, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I like it. I, th- that's a machaya to me is when it's, I don't have to bundle up. So, uh, But machaya, uh, the technical definition is pleasure, enjoyment. But, Steve, I thought, thought this was interesting. The word machaya derives from the Hebrew word chai, which means life. Uh, in Yiddish, the word has numerous other uses. Something delicious, delightful, or enjoyable is a Okay, help me here. Uh, mechayadik? Mechayadik. I don't know if I should be saying that. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't. That's what it says on here. I believe you. I All don't right. know what that is. I, I know to, Tevya. Tevya saying lechayim. Lechayim, that's right. Which is to life. That's right. And so Machaya is life. And who brought life to Lazarus? Jesus. And that's the other part the of this. The resurrection and the life. That's right. A Machaya. And that's the other thing that's interesting. In light of this Machaya... Um, the blessing. It also says because it's connected to chai, life, in Jewish tradition, the belief is that there will be a resurrection of the dead. So even machaya means resurrection, that there is going to be a, 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 a resurrection of the dead. It's a part of Jewish theology that goes, of course, back to the Bible, but codified in Maimonides in the 13 Principles of Faith, it says. So there you go. What a machaya. A machaya. We have a machaya in Jesus today. But we Amen. have a machaya coming for us as That's well. That's right. There's a mach- uh, look. There's a, a, a machaya 
to come. A Mechiah to come. I like it. Well, everybody, thank you so much for joining us on this Jew and Gentile podcast. It's been a good one as we've been studying through John chapter 11, the seven signs. We've got a bonus sign coming up for you. But next week, again, don't forget to tune in. We've got Basem Eid, who will be talking about what it's like being a Palestinian who actually believes Israel is very, very important, not only in the world, but also in the Middle East. So uh, you want to be sure to join us there. Go to FOI Equip, will you? Please go to FOI Equip and register for our classes that we have lined up for you this fall. We've got uh, we've got uh, Paula Korn coming up in August. We'll see you soon and have a great one. <laughs>